0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast episode 549 and it's the first guest of the year. Thank you for all the love for the first episode of the year which is always the films of the year episode that got a lot of love from you guys. Um, I had a few people ask if I'm going to do a TV shows of the year episode because last year I did that with John and Joel from Dream Factory podcast. And I've just got so many guests lined up at the moment that I wasn't able to fit it in. But if I can, if I can nail those two guys down, I might do one kind of end of Jan, beginning of Feb, mid-Feb, end of Feb, sometime in the first quarter. <laughs> How's that a professional um, uh, language? But we're here for the first guest of the year, and it's an amazing one. It's Joel Edgerton. Huge name. I'm a huge fan of Joel. Had Joel on the podcast before, and it's one of the, the classic episodes And I had the opportunity to have Joel on again. And they gave me 90 minutes, which is mad. Like press junkets. I'm always pushing for 90 minutes, particularly if it's someone I'm excited about. But yeah, they gave me 90 minutes and we just had a hell of a conversation. As I said, I've had Joel on before. It was a certain amount of time ago. I'm not going to go into too much detail because there's a bit at the start. It's what I lead with. It's going to blow your minds. It blew our minds. But it was a certain amount of time ago and uh, I wasn't sure, sure, sure if he'd remember or anything, and he did, and it was lovely, and we had a wonderful chat. I definitely was sitting there thinking, well, we get on really well. We should definitely work together in a film at some point with with Barry Keoghan. It's weird. It'll make sense when you listen. But I definitely think down the line, me, Joel, and Barry should work on a film together. So if anyone involved is listening, hit me up, hit me up. Um, but yeah, it's a wonderful chat. We. We went like 45 minutes before we even got into talking about films, really. It's a joy. But we're brought to you as ever by speechdevelopmentrecords.com. That's where you can buy all your merch. If you've got some Christmas money that you want to spend, come on over and spend it. Also, you can support the podcast by going to patreon.com forward slash scrubiuspip and head to twitch.tv forward slash Pipio If you want to just come and hang out and watch me chat, sometimes play games and did a really f- fun stream over over cr- christmas we basically it was essentially a, a drunk cast on twitch thank you for all the love f- f- for the drunk cast by the way it was essentially a drunk cast on twitch it was me b dolan at uh, 10 30 ad 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 cudder and llama chan and they're just all streamers and humans that i absolutely adore S- so we just spent like Five hours, maybe six hours, drinking and hanging out. We played No More Jockeys. We played 20 Questions. It was great fun. And that's all on there to go and and watch for free if you want as well. But there's all sorts of fun stuff like that. Me and B. Dolan have started doing a thing called Pip and B. Show Each Other Stuff. And it's a semi-regular thing. The first episode was musical performances on TV shows. um, On late night tv and that's again that's all over there to, to watch we picked our favorites go and have a look twitch.tv forward slash pip yo i'm rambling now and i've forgotten that this is a nice long episode to kick the year off so let's get into it this is the distraction pieces podcast episode 549 with joel edgerton And we're recording. Um, I'm here with, with Joel Edgerton. How are you, man? I'm really good, thank you. You came on this podcast, and the weird part is, it was five years ago today... Oh, really? we recorded in this same hotel. Yeah. So I really appreciate you coming over to celebrate our five-year anniversary, <laughs> yeah. and really, it's really nice of you really, to find It's like your, to the
1: day. Five years. To the
0: day, for, Five years ago. And I think this is going to sound really insane. I think in this r- room, cause, b- because when they sent through, the only reason I know that, I'm not a psychopath, I swear. Yeah. The only reason I know that is, is you know, when you're, you're putting things into a calendar, if you type stuff, it recommends something if it's been before. Yeah. And it said, Joel, it was like at four o'clock or something in the afternoon, but it was the same hotel in the same r- room. Wow. You and know, I was like, those, that's those weird.
1: Weird tricks on your a- Apple iPhone too, that yeah. pull up photos from the exact day from certain years. Yeah. How funny!
0: It's mad, isn't it? So, I mean, how have you been? <laughs> Pretty good,
1: man. A lot's changed, that's for sure. Mostly, I've become a dad.
0: Yeah, how's that?
1: Amazing. I mean, uh, I wouldn't say anything else, even if it was a lie.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, <laughs> I mean, the thing. kids are like I listen to that podcast, the second one you did with that dude. And you said it was horrible being a dad. Um, they like two and a half. I've twins, and um
0: twins
1: so i had I, i'm sure that you know whenever they classify you know gen z gen x gen you know whatever it is there'll be there'll be gen covid 19
0: yeah, yeah i was going to say cuz cuz we've got a decent amount of time and obviously i want to talk about the boys in the boat and mm. numerous other things you've done since then but i want to kind of I, I was thinking let's have a look back over those past 5 years and what mm. jumps out and the pandemic's going to jump out massively for everyone but mm. more so if you've had twins. Yeah. In that time. So how was the pandemic? Was that kind of perfectly timed in a way that that you know, you probably can't work, you're probably at home with you know, the family.
1: Yeah. Well, what happened for me was I was at the end of shooting Underground Railroad with mm-hmm. Barry Jenkins and he was one of those lucky people that I think he got shut down Four days before the end of the shoot, but right. I had finished all of my shooting, and you know, whispers of the pandemic were starting to sort of surface. And I had gone to uh, Nepal to to work to go and participate in this eye surgery camp with this doctor that I'm involved in through a, a, an Australian charity. But it's, it's a Nepalese doctor. Anyway, we it's was th- there it's
0: the Fred Hollows? Foundation, Fred Hollows and right? yeah. his
1: doctor Brewitt who um, runs a hos- eye hospital in in Kathmandu.
0: Amazing.
1: So we'd gone up in the hills, um, we were shooting a documentary for um, Australia Story, which i had agreed to do if they helped focus on the charity because I was mortified about them prying into my personal life too much. (laughs) And then I came back through the airport and suddenly there's all these extra people wearing masks and my partner and I had decided after Barry's shoot that we would go and have a holiday together and we were going to Turks and Caicos and I was right. very excited about that. Yeah. and But then that got weird, you know, and we're like, maybe we'd better go somewhere that feels like home. Yeah. And we were living in New York and I'm like, well, I don't want to be in New York when the, if there's a pandemic because I just was putting the math together in my head, all the people crossing paths on subways and like, this is going to yeah. be like a Will Smith, like, New end of the world movie.
0: New York isn't the kind of big back garden plenty of space kind of city no you're all and, on top of each and other and you know
1: when when uh, when things look complicated it, it more than ever makes you feel like you want to like in the musical chairs of it all you want to sit in a, in a chair that feels like yeah. home surrounded by people you know so yeah We then decided to go back to Australia a week early. And I had a movie that I was producing and going to be in, which we are almost about to go into pre on. Mm -hmm. So I was going back to Australia anyway, but we went a week early, went there, and then we're about to go to Adelaide to shoot this movie. And the world went. For now, no more movies. Yeah. Yeah. And so we just sat in our house in Bondi and um, we are quarantining there. And I started doing yoga every day and I suddenly someone had told me to stop working because i i had become a bit of a workaholic over the last 10 years because yeah. i was like i love yeah. what i do and and i just sort of had a you know say with a with a measure of empathy and 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 mind guilt I, I i was having a, an okay time and i felt very blessed and then um 6 months later we got to go shoot the movie so we went to adelaide uh, which is a movie called the stranger yeah which um, is now on uh, Netflix. Yeah,
0: Sh- Sean Harris, I want to talk about that a load. I, I would it was love fantastic. to talk, to you, yeah. And, and I find I've never met Sean, but I find him so fascinating as just an on-screen presence. And yeah,
1: yeah. He, he and I like uh, sort of became like a weird, you know, odd couple, Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers kind yeah. of like because uh, we've done three movies together. <laughs> yeah. But um, essentially, well, anyway, the long and short of that is we went to Adelaide, and that's where we found out we were going to be parents and um amazing and that was you know two and a half years ago or th- three years ago anyway we made that movie and um and had an amazing time incredible experience and but yeah covid was
0: it was a mad one right
1: big thing and i did that, that mean i i was at home for longer than i had been in years yeah and you know, I and it was a good byproduct of all of that
0: I think it's a really interesting thing about this industry because it is an industry that doesn't really acknowledge the need for time off. I've got friends who become parents and are back on set, mm. male or female, are back on set within you know a few weeks, a month, and that kind of. Thing. And it can be, it can be mad because of the of the, the the pressures when you're responsible for so many other people's jobs, money, livelihood, everything. It's yeah. it can be a lot. So to have to have time off is kind of. I had decided
1: that the moment they came along I was going to take at least like five or six months off. Yeah. Problem was (laughs) one of the exciting things for me was that as we finished The Stranger I got a call from Ron Howard was shooting a big movie in Australia, you know, in Queensland. Yeah. the, The 13 Lives. 13 Lives. And I almost didn't do it because I was going to have to cross the border. And Australia had all these sort of rules that if there was even one case of COVID, they, they might shut the border. And yeah. and people were missing out on the birth of their children, funerals of loved ones. And so I almost uh, was like, well, I'm not going to do it if um, – there's even the slightest risk of that. Anyway, Ron has twins. I had twins. We'd found out by that point I had twins coming in. I don't know. that That's why he was lenient on me. But he said, I will make sure that um, w- we as a production will make sure that everything will be If you need to have the children up here or down there, whatever, we'll make it work. Beautiful. And um, they came seven weeks early.
0: All right. More prep time. Perfect.
1: Yeah, but the problem <laughs> was I hadn't finished shooting the movie yet. Oh, but they'd said if they came early, yeah, they would give me at least a week off. And all I had left when the kids came, you know, those guys put me on a plane, every, you know, patted me on the back, everybody wished me well. <laughs> and I said, all right, I I'll, I'll promise you I'll be back in a week. And um, not knowing what was about to happen either, because there was a lot of fear around them coming early. And um <laughs> I just had four days left to shoot. So I was back at work a week after they were born, but only for so like for three four or four days, days of shooting. Yeah. And I was just this emotional like wreck. Yeah, And also we're telling a story about the rescue of children.
0: The rescue of 13, yeah. a, a, a soccer team essentially. Yeah, That's a really emotional one. Like it was watching it, it was a weird one f- for me because I do get emotional in films All the time. But it really hit me at a weird time. It was as the last... Like, it's weird... Like I've always said it's weird that the Titanic is one of the biggest films ever because we all know the ending. Yeah. It kind of proves that that's not what storytelling's about. It's not about this big twist. It's about how you tap into those emotions and tell the story. Yes. And it was mad on this. The last rescuer to come out in the film, I suddenly got overwhelming emotions because it was that, right, everyone's kind of okay... That must be mad (laughs) to be making a film like that about the world coming together to prioritize some young kids when, you know, you're just, yeah. I remember the the first
1: scene I had to shoot when I came back after the kids were born was I'm telling the Thai officials about the plan to anesthetize the kids. Yeah. And he's asking me, will there be fatalities? And I look him square in the eye and I said, there will be, yes, there'll be. So yeah. essentially some of them are going to die, yeah, yeah. which is what Harry believed. And I, you know, like a lot of actors, it's just like, you know, <laughs> you go, oh, it's good. You know, every now and then it's okay to cry in a movie and and sometimes it's the right time, but other times it's not the right time and you want to hold it back. Yeah. And I was, I just found myself so much more emotional than I ever normally am Yeah, that I kept saying to Ron, I was like, can I just do it again? Normally it's like, can I do it again because I'm not producing the tears? Yeah. And then it was like, can I do it again because I want to not be, I don't want to be falling apart here. Yeah. But all, I just was so like, you know, I can't even describe it. It's like, it, it suddenly I became a different human being.
0: There's, there's such a beauty in that. I, my acting teacher trained under a guy called y- Yap Malgram, mm-hmm. who also like taught like Anthony Hopkins and people like that. And they had a conversation at one point and it really, was a breakthrough for me because they kind of said they see so many drama students, particularly on stage, but so many drama students who are trying so hard to cry and so many people in the real world who are trying so hard n- not to. Yeah. And the beauty in that, I guarantee that helped that scene and performance because you didn't want to cry and you had to hold that back. And yeah. that's what Harry would have been doing, right? He wants to be a professional and deliver this in the moment. But yeah,
1: That was the beauty of Anthony Hopkins, sort of saying when in in some of his most, you know, a lot of them, very stoic performances yeah, because yeah. he's like, he's in a situation where you go, oh, that guy should fall apart right now. Yeah. But because he doesn't, the audience falls apart. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's and you know know he can. You, you know he could just turn those tears on in a heartbeat, but it's that restraint to go, yeah. no, that's not what's right I'll for the character. not me choose not to, it's not sh- not to run. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah.
1: but, uh, you know, I remember, I remember at drama school, you know, you're reading all these books about acting and Mamet sort of really – given the tough uh, <laughs> yeah. point of view on actors needing to cry and saying the problem is that when they do manufacture the tears that internally they're so proud of, them, he's essentially saying something akin to they're so proud of themselves that then you're negating the feeling that you're supposed to be living in. Yeah. You're yeah. like, oh, look at me, I'm crying, I'm crying. Like in your head you go, oh, look at me, I'm crying, I'm crying, yeah. I'm crying. But that's a joyful celebration of your abilities and therefore you're not really in the scene. Yeah. He's like, ah, I can't win when Mamet talks about acting. I was going <laughs> to say. He's right in yeah. theory so many times, but at the same time you're like, yeah, but that's very cynical.
0: He's the perfect example because I think his books have taught me the most, but Half the time, it's me going, "No, fuck off! I don't agree with you." <laughs> like, mm. I mean, like, look, like, you know, when like, he... I don't, I don't agree with your outlook on that. I believe there's more to it than this or whatever else. And yeah,
1: look, I'm really into this theory of um, that there's sort of no acting required. Like, if a story is, you know, the inflection of cuts as he talks about, and if a story is built perfectly, yeah. then essentially a central character should be able to move through a story as a, a, something a, a, of a statue and still evoke. Yeah. The right feelings from an audience, but at the same time, you end up in certain stories or films or, or, or whatever scenarios where you're like, "No, nah, I think I think there's some real acting required here, like yeah. some uh, indication of emotion or something." You know, and it's it's a challenge to know when to choose those things or not, and and some actors have an incredible instinct at it. I I like to think that I um my my job, if I'm not certain, is to offer up options.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. just
1: going to do a bit of this and a bit of that and you decide but hopefully you decide right.
0: Yeah, well, one of the best bits of advice I got on set was actually off Tom Hardy who you worked with in mm. in, in Warrior which I think is another amazing film and he kind of said, "Look, if you're not sure, don't do anything." Mm. And then either you could be directed or it will just pick up like if if the writing is right, you mm. might not as you say you might not need to act. You could, and then it's made me look back at so many of Tom's performances and see how much I've put on mm. as a viewer, where he's just held it, mm. not done much, and you're like, oh. and you think of like Gosling in Drive and Fassbender in Shame and things like that. There's so many performances where loads of it they're just not not doing that much, but it's all in there, and yeah. that can be. Yeah, yeah one of my favourite
1: actors I work with um, uh, on Black Mass is, is Jesse Plemons. Yeah, and he's just such a confident, comfortability in his performances where he's not really, not really telling you too much. He's not giving yeah. away too much, but there's yeah. something so inviting, you know, as in you want to lean in to yeah. him. He's, um, I think, he's extraordinary.
0: Phillips Seymour Hoffman always comes to mind for that as well just such a yeah there's a curiosity there mm. like he can explode and can give the huge performances he's known for but so much of it is just I want to know more about this guy who yeah what's going on here Yeah, we're going to go all over the place it always always happens this way but you mentioned Mamet there and kind of learning just up the road here a couple of months ago I went to see the pillow man um, oh, yeah. standing plate are you tempted to go back to stage at all because you did the pillow man yeah, you know, years back. Right, does stage appeal, or do you? And what are the differences? I guess, but in your focus as an actor, between stage and screen.
1: Last time I was on stage was two thousand and ten. I did Streetcar named Desire in uh, Sydney, and Washington, and and in New York. And um, I, I reckon I've got a bit of sort of PTSD about that experience. It was really? mostly a wonderful experience. But but doing that play in New York, I felt really kind of um, under the microscope, you know, for all the comparisons to, you know, the fact that 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 play was first done in New York with Brando and um, I just felt like, oh, I'm just sort of some cheap imitation coming in, you know, decades later to try and do a version of this and – and I really started to get inside my head yeah. to a point where I stopped enjoying it in the last couple of weeks in New York, and I, I was it wasn't a pleasurable experience for me. And I had the same feeling I did Henry V in Australia, but it was a five month run, and that was more about an, a point of exhaustion. And um, I really drive myself into the ground doing theatre. I have this sort of I have this sort of weird feeling like every night has to be better and different for me. Mm. And and like without thinking that each audience is a new group of people and that yeah. I don't need to reinvent it every night. And and I'm not trying to reinvent it as in the blocking or, or, or go off book or any of that stuff. It's more about making sure that it's really truthful every time. And I tie myself in knots and I get very stressed about it. And um, it's like Groundhog Day where all day is about – how When I wake up, am I okay? How's my voice? What, how, how's my state of mind? And then you've got to wait all day until the evening comes along and hope that you've re- reserved enough energy to do what you've got to do. And then strangely, the moment the play starts, it's like, you know, whatever they say, Dr. Theatre, everything seems fine. But then the play's over and you've got to go and shake hands with everyone who says you're wonderful and I don't believe them. And yeah. it's just a lot of stress for me. Whereas going to set on a movie is like a new task every day. Well, you know, part of my psyche is I'm like I have to find a way to make this as best as I can do it in this moment today because tomorrow we're going to be moving on to something else. Yeah. And I need to know that that piece for the edit, for the film is as good as it can be and fits in, in the right way, in the right tone, and, and you get to move on to the next piece. And, and being on a movie set, the crew aren't there as an audience. They're like me, they're there to collect a piece to put in a bigger puzzle, yeah. so I don't feel like I'm being scrutinized or on show, and I don't feel nervous on a movie set. I, yeah. I have nerves about hitting a certain moment in a movie and making sure that I do it right, but I'm not. I'm not feeling like terrified. I believe that I like to go to work feeling a little bit terrified, but not if it starts to consume everything in my life. Yeah. So, I, but but that said, I have been thinking. How do I now, with the maturity I have as a you know almost fifty year old man, go into a piece of theatre now with a different outlook on life, you know mm-hmm. with with bigger priorities in my life so that I can put it in a perspective that it belongs and still bring enough care to make it good? And the other thing is every time I ever did a play, there were massive theatres, and i've I've never since drama school, Done a play in in an intimate theatre, yeah. and that's what I would like to do if I step back in.
0: It's, it definitely s- s- sounds like that would be the way to go, right? The, the polar opposite of of a play like Streetcar, where I said it's going to be Brando comparisons, r- regardless. That's going to mm. get in your psyche, regardless in your performance. All of this, whereas, yeah, a smaller pr- production and newer and a newer, an, a newer pr- 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 production, you could probably, yeah. I, I remember hearing recently
1: more. about this sort of um, Chekhov production that Andrew Scott did and various things just, that pop I, up. And I I'm just like, the, that, that entices yeah. me when I hear about it. inspires me to go, that kind of thing would sound exciting. And Not to say that, that what I'm looking to do is do every character in a whole play by myself without yeah, any yeah, cast yeah, members. Yeah. But you hear about someone doing either reinventing an old play or, or, or doing their own thing with an old play or, or a really interesting new play. And it, and I do hear about those things. and go, oh, that, that actually wouldn't be bad. I also yeah. wouldn't want to do a run that lasts for months and months and months.
0: That's what I like at the at, at the Duke of York's Theatre up there because it's. I saw Vanya there as, as well. I saw Andrew Scott doing Vanya. That's where I saw the Pillow Man. And again, they do seem to be. They'll do a few weeks and then on to something else. yeah. And yeah. that's kind of the ideal... For for, for the, the, the kind of actors they're getting in, I think that's ideal to get up there and scratch the, that itch.
1: Interesting, isn't Because in the old days it was very hard to drag movie, you know, famous movie actors into yeah. the world of television. But then when they said, all right, well, we're only going to do like a, sh- a limited season and then you can go off back to you the rest of your life. Yeah. Suddenly all these actors that maybe looked down on television or they, the more that they didn't want to do it because they didn't want to sign away seven years of their life to the yeah. one character. They were like willing to go, I'm going to do True Detective and and now the world of television is different because of that and you know, because of the streamers, you
0: know. Does t- television appeal to you much? Because you've not done loads in recent years, you no. know. Is, is it the appeal of, you know, a story that has a beginning, a middle and an end? You get to do your work and then move on to the next one, or you know, it, is there any lure of those? Because as I said, TV has become fucking amazing. Like, yeah. like the, the ability to to really delve into characters and pick things apart is is astounding now. So, is there more appeal there, or, or do you still like the film?
1: Well, I, I, you know, I jumped in a underground railroad because yeah. Barry and the character and the world, and and that felt like we were doing a long, big, long movie. Yeah. And uh, and then last year I shot sort of the real first proper television I've done in years because I did TV in Australia back in the um, late 90s, yeah. early 2000s. And then I was like, I don't know about, I love that show, but I, I wanted to be in movies for the very thing that you just said. It's like each, each movie is a new mission and then yeah. you you sort of, you know, you take you, you, you move on to the next thing, and you explore a new world, a new rhythm, and all sorts of stuff. And that's what I find exciting. Is sort it's
0: of... it's why I'm one of the only people I think who genuinely enjoys auditions and, and self tapes because it's even minier. Yeah. I get to just lose myself in that character and world for m- 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 one moment. I'd love to come back to it, but if not, I've got to have that fun still. I have got yeah. to play there, and, and you be still that got character. to do
1: some work, yeah. you know, in in a in a pleasurable sense. Yeah, I, I, you know, so then. Uh, <laughs> I started reading a bit of TV because I started to understand that I was being a bit snobbish about it because during the pandemic, I was watching a lot of television and I was starting to think, look, a a majority of the television that I'm watching is of a standard that I think is higher than a lot of movies that I watch, the standard of writing, maybe because there's more than one brain working on the scripts, I don't know, but... And, and that you get to sit with and explore and live with the character for more than just an hour and a half, you know. The-
0: and, I mean, the difference of the power b- balance in TV and film between writer and, and director, like the writers are generally the showrunners in TV, so there is more yeah,
1: they're given a bit dedication of power.
0: to the strict where, s- script, whereas with films it can be taken over by a production company or whatever else and, mm-hmm. you know, th- th- that can make amazing results, but it can also destroy something that would have been... Yeah, and lo- locally you
1: know? the films, uh, same with television, there's some good and there's some not good. Yeah. And and even the things that are good, it all depends on your own taste, whether it really speaks to you or not. Yeah. And I read this thing, uh, this uh, speculative science fiction writer, Blake Crouch, had written called Dark Matter, which deals in sort of quantum mechanics and the essentially a, a, a very grounded version of kind of a sliding doors concept yeah. of... Yeah. The ability to – I call it multiverse for the middle-aged man. (laughs) Yeah. But to to explore themes of the choices you made in life and what if you had a chance to Mm -hmm. slide across and see what your life had been like if you had done a different thing.
0: Yeah.
1: Meaning chosen to not have a family. Yeah. And just focused on career in the case of the show. Anyway, we ended up making this show called Dark Matter based on his book. And he was the writer of most of the scripts and yeah. ran the show and And Jennifer Connelly and I play a husband and wife and I play two versions of the same man. Amazing. One who chose family and child and, and home life and the other one who, you know, cut all that stuff out of his life to really pursue uh, and focus on career. Yeah. And every episode is full of scenes that, you may only find one or two of in a film. Yeah, and we did nine episodes, and it was the hardest I've ever worked in my life because I was on set every day, almost every day, five days a week, all day long, yeah. playing two different versions of the same person—the the kind of protagonist and the antagonist of the story—and I loved it. Yeah, and I'm like, all right, well, I'm not, I'm not going to be snobbish about television. I just sort of my fear would be if you did too many of them, then you're kind of stacking up franchises in a way because mm-hmm. I know that we'll maybe, you know, if, it's, if the audience receives it well, we'll, we'll, we'll go and do a, a second yeah, season yeah, yeah. and a third season. Maybe, maybe that would be the end of it, but it's still a commitment yeah. bigger than just one movie. Yeah, yeah. But I loved it and it was Apple and Sony and they looked after us very well. We had great directors and it was a different, you know, pace of working for sure. But it's the kind of TV show that if I wasn't in it, probably the kind of thing that I would go and watch during a pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Or not a pandemic, you know. Completely. Yeah.
0: I think it's interesting. So uh, what interests me there, you're a writer and a director, a producer, an actor, all of these things. I can see how that project would appeal hugely as an actor. For me, it would appeal hugely as an actor. As Hmm. a writer, that's my nightmare. A friend of mine, Joe Barton, wrote a series over here Called the Lazarus Project, which is all time travel stuff. I was watching it, adoring it, and messaging him, going, "Are you all right?" Because I can't imagine (laughs) what it must have been like to write this with the different timelines and the overlaps and the crossovers and all that. It's kind of in almost every character to be on that side of it, but to get the script and go, "Oh, yeah, I trust you. I trust that this works."
1: Give me a piece of paper and I'll draw (laughs) you a tree, but I'm not going to draw you an Escher, you know, (laughs) staircase. And, and that's what it was like for him, I'm sure, but that's how Blake's brain works and, yeah. you know, um, understanding not only all the intersections and crossovers of characters, but how each character, each character's life is, is slightly different or morphed or dramatically different from one version of, of the Chicago yeah. timeline to an alternate version. So it's not about traveling backwards and forwards in time. It's yeah. about sliding laterally to yeah. to a world where you you may go right up to your front door and it looks exactly the way it is, and you walk in the living room and it's exactly the way it is, but there's just something ever so slightly different. Like you you're so adjacent to your version of the world, yeah, but not quite close. And other versions where it's like the th- couldn't be more different and the world building and and what's interesting about the series is that it starts in very real world Chicago and episode two, you know, still lives in the real world, but it's expanding a little bit. And, and by a th- sort of episode four, you're in these sort of worlds that are so dramatically different, but it's still Chicago. And it goes, the, the show expands like some, uh, massive labyrinth that is uh, really exciting. But like I said, it's grounded, so it's like instead of some superhero kind of whizzing around the universe, it's just a average middle-aged family guy trying to get his own life back from Love himself. It. And yeah. it's um, it's interesting. It's really fascinating yeah. shit. You know, sounds
0: great. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I want to get on to talking about the, the boys on the boat in, mm. in the boat b- because I adored it. But just before we do, you mentioned, um, you said, kind of, you know, a drastically different reality we started this conversation talking about the pandemic i just want to kind of see how you found being in australia for that because from the outside i feel australia and new zealand are probably the people who handled it the best in the world like Mm. but it was also the strictest again i sit here i was filming in canada or when it started but thankfully got back to the uk and then had to witness how in my opinion we didn't handle it well at all Mm. the government did didn't prioritise the people; they prioritised the economy or, or or themselves. How was that being out there? And did you feel that, despite the harshness of it all, you guys were doing the the right thing? Whereas you look at um, America was a prime example of as well of who didn't seem to be doing it. I was watching. In the, my opinion, I, w- I became, became like well. this
1: COVID statistician. You know, yeah. every morning I'm like, I'm looking at the, you know, and the the people that were losing their lives every day, like. Mm. In, in, incredible numbers and, and watching how Australia was handling, despite what your politics is and whether you believed it was true or false. I, I didn't believe there was a hoax. I believed it was, you know, really going on. And I was happy to be put in a position where everyone was going, we're all going to be safe. Now, Australia is full of, even though we like to think that, you know, we, cause you know, modern European Australia was a penal colony of, you know, criminals, but really bad criminals because they got caught just stealing a fork and (laughs) you know kicking a sheep no they weren't like really cunning criminals (laughs) but we're actually not really a rebellious nation yeah and we're not divided or polarized in in the same way that america is right now so when the government says do something 99 percent of people go okay so stay home okay you know None none of this like 50% going okay and the others are going no wearing a mask means you 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 know you're in bed with the devil or whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, so everyone was compliant and it was safe for a while. The, the only negative thing I would say is that when I eventually was able to kind of like a mouse or, a you know, bear at the end of kind of the winter, poke my head out of my cave and go, it's safe to go out into the real world. I was terrified. Right. And, I, and I, I'm sure people in the States who had kind of just sucked it up a little bit more and become sort of more hard-bitten were wondering why I was so paranoid. I you know, stand within two metres of somebody and, yeah. you know, so I was a little bit – I was paranoid. But look, I think Australia handled it pretty well, and then and there, But then, it, then it all just suddenly. It's funny how I, I was in London in uh, the beginning of last year, shooting about to shoot Boys in the Boat, and um, it was probably one of the worst moments for COVID at the time. But it had been the moment where everyone went, "Ah, well, let's just get on with things." Yeah, and it was like no one was seeming like there was anything wrong, but everyone had COVID. We all got it on the film yeah. after having one dinner with all, all of us. Yeah. And, um, you know, every day he'd turn up and you're like, where's, you know, where's George? Mm. Uh, you know, he said, home. And, you know, the weird thing was on a movie set, the rules are, you know, it's like, you know, you can't say uh, – you know, someone else has a medical thing. You can't talk about other people's yeah, medical of stuff. It's
0: privacy. So it, was yeah. like, it was
1: this funny conversation. So I was like, "Where's uh, Where's George today?" He's like, "He's at home. He's the director of the movie. So he's has he got COVID." He's like, uh, "I can't say." He's at home. Like, so he's got COVID. <laughs> I can't <laughs> yeah. say, but he's got COVID. <laughs> <It's> like,
0: <laughs> if it was something else, you'd be able to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But you know, like, um, yeah,
1: the COVID. Uh, you know, it was um. It was, a, it was such a strange time. And, like, you know, I, I, being Australian, there was very few people that if you're Australian that you knew were actually really deeply affected by it. Yeah. Whereas I know people from here and from the States who lost significant uh, people in their family, close yeah. Yeah. loved ones or had massive um, long COVID that's really affected their ability to move in the world um, we were very lucky that we had such a strict policy and a lot of people judged that policy. And uh, I had a funny moment where my partner got an exemption to leave to Europe to do work because he had to really apply. Yeah. Re- you've got to state your case. Why do you want to leave the country? Mm-hmm. But when you come back, you've got to go to a hotel that you don't choose, put in a room that you might hate <laughs> yeah. for two weeks, um, and you pay $3,000 yourself for the privilege of having to do that. Yeah. And you might get a room in a basement facing a brick wall or you might get the penthouse suite, but it's a gamble. My partner's got good karma. Everything she wants, you know, sort of somehow the universe gives it to her. Yeah. Which is why I think we have twins and one's a boy <laughs> and one's a girl. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like she just sort of I – I, I joke about it, but I think she's got some kind of good karma that's coming back to her from something. Anyway – She came back and was put in this incredible room with an amazing view, and I just became her delivery guide. Bring her boxes of food and bought her things. I bought her some clay so she could make some pots. She was having a little craft workshop up there. Amazing. I printed off uh, three joke shots of my face like I was doing an actor's sort of headshot, and framed them so she could put them in a room. (laughs) <laughs> and as I delivered a box one day to the front desk, it was this very clean looking hotel guy and he's like, you know, what have you got in here? And I told him and, um, and he looked really stressed and I said, are you okay? And he goes, oh, the guy has gone level 16. It's like he's, he's all angry because, you know, he, he doesn't know why he can only have six uh, a six-pack of beer every day. That was the limit, one mm-hmm. bottle of red wine or a six-pack. Right. And he goes, you'd think six would be enough. And I looked at his complexion and I was like, clearly he's not a drinker.
0: <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> yeah. there were
1: people who were probably opening a can at like, you yeah. know, nine in the morning and then yeah. they're, they're out by lunchtime. You've got
0: nowhere to go and nothing you can do.
1: And then he and then he pulled out this little uh, cutting knife that I had in there because I'd given us some bread and some cheese. And he said, oh, you can't have this. And I naively was like, uh, why? And he's, you, you know, the, there had been people up there in um, forced quarantine Who had tried to kill themselves? Wow! I don't know specifically in that hotel, but it was a policy: no sharp items. And I was like, like, "Wow!" And it really struck me. And I had another situation with someone in my neighbourhood had a had a woman coming uh, with her four kids in her car um, because she'd escaped her home because of her husband. Right. Because the increase of domestic violence had just spiked. You know, my my partner and I had the kind of opposite situation where we realised we were spending 24 hours a day in the same house together and it became something that made our relationship better. I was like, I love this person but I also actually really, really like her and (laughs) happy to spend all this time and I'm happy I'm nowhere else. Good to have that confirmed. But, you know, to to see other people's experiences that it became, for some people it became a prison Mm. that exacerbated things for them that, that, you know, put life on edge. Yeah,
0: it put everything under a... A microscope, mental right. health issues, for better or worse. Yeah, I, I definitely
1: had a lot of good times, and and I ha- then it started to undulate for me. But um, it, you know I the other great thing I think came out of it was you know we, we were able to go and like you know exercise and do all that stuff is like realizing a lot of men that I hung out with were really opening up more about their you know things that were important to them, talking about isolation and mental health and concerns about the future, and you know. Conversation started to sort of go deeper mm. than the normal surface level of things yeah, because yeah. stuff was going on. And yeah. I appreciated that having that forum as well.
0: Yeah. I, I swear this isn't a podcast purely about COVID, but um, we will get on to film stuff. But <laughs> yeah, what
1: are you your find- stats? How many times do yeah. you have it?
0: Or, or how did you find the yoga? Because I got into yoga in, like when I was filming in Canada during COVID. And because I found that because I'm into my exercise and into keeping fit, I hadn't realized how unflexible I am because, again, it's that weird thing of when you are focusing on muscle or strength, it can be at the cost of flexibility if you're not stretching enough and all these things that we're all meant to do yeah. but maybe don't do because we just want to g- g- get in the gym for an hour or whatever else.
1: Yes, yeah. so, I so won't go to a gym it? anymore. I mean, I, I have at this hotel because I'm here. Yeah. But now I, I've… Um, I just buy equipment and leave it at my house and yeah. I, and, um, but during COVID, I just did at least like half an hour of yoga practice on my own yeah. each day. Yeah, And I realized after a year, I had managed to do it almost every single day. I think I missed like two or three days and yeah. I, I become, I get in an obsessive rhythm with things. Yeah, Like if, if I do something twice, then I'll. Chances are I'll do it a third time the next day and then again and again yeah. and it'll become a pattern. But I, it was a happy pattern for me and I loved it. And I stopped sort of doing any other kind of exercise except running. And, yeah. And, and actually I got together with these two dudes, one of whom I knew really well, uh, Jim. He's an older guy and we used to swim across this cove in Sydney and do like a two-kilometre swim each day. Wow. Yeah, and, yeah. and we kept doing it as a – got to the winter months and the water would have been like 12, 13 degrees. Yeah. And Jim was swimming with this guy who'd had a motorcycle accident and a stroke as a result of the accident. And every day he would get in the water and swim two kilometres. It would take him longer than it took Jim and I to do it. And uh, and, and it was like because I was watching, you know, not because I'm a bit competitive either, but I was like, look, if he's doing it, I've got no excuse. And the three of us were like this weird sort of trio that would go down to this cove and swim every day. And it was one of the things I regretted about finally going out into the rest of the world is that I left my little swimming gang. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it got kind of it was amazing. And just going, okay, well, it's getting cold. Again, but...
0: for body and mind, though. Again, that, like, I love cold water swims for exactly that. It's that it just
1: yeah. makes It's the one thing, and I'm no I've... fitness guru by any stretch, but, you know, I, I do adamantly believe that exercise is a tonic that, is beneficial in so many ways, and that that if you're feeling not great, that moving your body or putting yourself through a physical challenge of some kind is gonna is gonna reboot you in some way, um, distract you. It has all these benefits, and and one of them is that it gives you a sense of pride. Yeah, you know, I just I did that. Yeah, I checked that box today. So like I, I'm I'm a I'm a real um, advocate for that for people to kind of help them through a time like whatever it is. You know, rather than just sit down and and, and wallow and yeah. get unhealthy.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, check this segue out. Speaking of obsessive rhythms, <laughs> the boys <laughs> in the boat. Um, I loved it and and I didn't know if I would. Like everyone involved in it, I'm a b- b- big fan of. I think George is a fantastic director, but I've got no real connection to to rowing. But there's something about sports films that I think is so... Draws you in. It's so powerful. It hits all the emotions. Yeah. How how is that to be part of, of someone? And when it's a true story, again, yeah. it's that thing that really you get those emotions and you feel it. You know. Well, here's
1: the thing. I reckon. Uh, you know, when we made Warrior, I know tons of people who who were reluctant to see it because they're like, "I'm not into MMA." But the film's not about MMA. You know, yeah. the film film is about about family and 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 other things the sport is the garnish you know i i became obsessed with the uh, queen's gambit i was yeah, like yeah 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 i like i appreciate chess but i never thought it would be gripping <laughs> yeah so, and then you know if you made a movie about knuckles or to- yeah. tossing a coin yeah. in the right hands Conquers you the know movie, if there's a theme or it. or a real substance behind it it's great and i i did think you know who cares about rowing but it's not about the rowing the rowing is just the yeah. the kind of the the thing that tells us the story about overcoming adversity and, you know, forming a family and, and and operating as a group and appreciating, you know, who you're in the boat with or who you're on your team with and all that stuff. It also happens to be done in a really cinematic way and I feel like the movie itself is like a rowing race. It moves yeah, yeah. with this building rhythm um, in a way that it never slows down and it keeps building, keeps giving you new obstacles and it's a pleasure... To watch. And yeah. when you even just tell someone the story of this, particularly when it ends in front of Hitler getting pissed off, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, like... that's
0: it. There's so many themes l- like that. Like, it's a story of working class people overcoming privileged people, which is always a story I'm yeah. I'm disposed to kind of thing because, yeah. you know, it's just a natural joy. And then, yeah, said, it ends at the Berlin Olympics um, and all that. So did you come out of it a fan? Of rowing because it was weird timing for me. I'd done the this year. I've done the first bits of rowing. I think I've ever done as a grown up. But it was oh, really? just like on little boat trips, kind of thing. It was yeah. like, oh, I I guess I'm rowing. And I'll tell you the truth, arrogantly, there was moments on both of the rowing trips i have done that I thought I'm a bit of a natural. You know, you'd be the rowing. Right, I've got a good frame for it. I'm you the right have build. Perfect frame for it. Watching this and the way it was shot and the, and the, the the points where he's he's hitting the the thing on the side of the boat and getting yeah. the rhythm it made me want to go and row, which, again, I don't often have that feeling. But did it get you into rowing? Because you do get to understand the nuance of it a bit more.
1: Yeah, look, I I would say more that I I appreciate it and understand it in a way that I never used to. I mean, I I knew what rowing was, obviously, but I didn't really know about what goes into it, what kind of training would go into it, what kind of mechanics are involved. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure if – if I get a chance, and the, or it's on the television, and I see rowing ways. I'm more likely going to watch it now than I ever would before. Yeah. Am I going to become a row? I don't know. I get <laughs> every now and then. If I am like hotel gym and there's a rowing machine, I'll get on it. But um, I just appreciate the skill involved. Man. It man, it's yeah. like it really is. There's no other sport. <laughs> like you think about all the team sports, everybody a collection of different shapes and sizes that suit their different role in a certain line, whatever the game is, you know, tall, if you're this, you that, you could be a goalkeeper and, you know, the, the halfback in rugby league is a particular kind of body type. Rowing is like a boy band that are doing a dance perfectly in sync, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's there's yeah. no other sport
0: A that's, really physical dance. <laughs>
1: yeah, they become like this sort of caterpillar. Yeah. Where everything's duk 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 duk, everybody's got to be on point. And if if anybody's rolling their wrist wrong or has the wrong posture, it can throw the entire game out.
0: That was the bits that got me. Seeing the rolling of the wrist technique made me go, "I want to go out and do some rowing" because I wasn't doing that when I was rowing. Yeah, and like, next I re- time I'm I reckon in the, I can yeah. get some extra time on on there next <laughs> next time, next time I'm on the on the rivers of Cambridge. But I,
1: I love <laughs> what I loved about it was that because I'd been through the experience with Warrior is I know the pleasure that comes from the pain of of putting yourself through the challenge and that someone's paying you to get in a really serious routine where you're going to learn a skill, you're going to bond with a bunch of other people, and you're going to transform in some way in terms of your understanding of something and your physical transformation. And it's hard work. Mm. But if you go through it, there's a huge amount of big barrel of pride satisfaction and and knowledge coming, waiting for you throughout and at the end. And I just admired that these boys were going through that and that they all took to it. No one kind of was too precious to do it.
0: I think more often than not it's a dream role, isn't it? To get to do something that you get to transform into the character more. So there is more, rather than just you turn up and you're the character, some kind of... Yeah, I mean there, there the is a world
1: where George would have, you know, a movie that looks less good and maybe has less of a sense of camaraderie with his mm-hmm. characters where they turn up and go, okay, just, you know, where do I hold this oar and all right, let's yeah. shoot. There are, there are things you can fake in movies obviously and, of you course. know, this is yeah. like there are certain things you could turn up on the morning and go, just show me how to do this one thing and I'll yeah, I'll yeah, make yeah, the audience yeah, yeah. believe me. But but big physical things like this and the shape of their bodies and the way they need to look, it's a different you got to turn up months ahead of time. Yeah. And and it's so cool. And I was sort of going, all right, well, this is one of the silver linings of being a little bit older is so I get to be the coach. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. And I get to
1: look cool in a three-piece suit and just stand off the side and yell at everyone. So I didn't have to go through all the physical training. I'd train a bit with them in the gym and do all the, you know, go watch them train. I did mm-hmm. a bit of si- single-scale rowing. Because there was a plan at some point. We, we shot one piece where I row out in the river just to kind of have a look at the conditions, not because I'm trying to yeah. belt down the lane but just sort of seeing what the currents are like. So I did a bit of rowing. and um, But most of my fascination became about these two lines in the script that talked about how little Ulbrichtson smiled. Mm. And I was like, oh, good, this is the reason I really wanted to be involved because so I wanted to play one of those coaches that just looked like he was having a terrible time. Also. Yeah. You know, and we, we all know those coaches, they're the yeah. ones that care the most. Yeah. And they look like they're, they're willing to drive themselves to have a heart attack. Yeah. Because they just love the sport and they love their team, but it doesn't show on them at all. Yeah. They look like they'd rather be anywhere else.
0: Yeah. But then the value when coach smiles at his wife is <laughs> then, or is then th- through the roof. It means yeah. so much more because you've got that Or when he just moment. says
1: to them, you know, for what it's worth, I'm proud of you boys. yeah. yeah. Is that moment when um, you know you see coaches sort of sharing the you know the the trophy with their team, and you go, "Oh, finally, I saw that guy's teeth. Yeah, he's yeah. a happy guy because yeah. he won."
0: Well, that's one of the things I, I liked about this was he's not a coach that's got these constant big r- rousing speeches. If anything, it's laughed at how it's underwhelming his speeches it's are. Yeah. it's like here's the facts. It's like you know, let them know you care, kind of thing. That's yeah. so what people like. But and that was a nice. Ch- change in the sports room because it's normally about you build up to that big speech before the big yeah. run. I don't that. know
1: how you feel, and I know I know this is sort of a, a kind of a thing all around the world. But you know the general non-verbal nature of fathers, mm-hmm. you know, and coaches mm-hmm. are fathers to me. Yeah, you know, male coaches are fathers with with um, in many regards. The, and my my father's a very emotional and and um, open man and willing to talk about things, but. He's not verbose, you know. He's, he's not. He's not a sort of an essay of words on every subject. So a hand on my shoulder, the little squeeze says yeah. a volume of things to me yeah. that, that can easily trigger me in an in an emotional way, and and just telling me that you know I did a good job or I'm he's proud of me, you know that means so much. And and I think there's something in the non-verbal space that we're looking for guides from people that are guides to us. Yeah. So parents are guides and coaches are guides. So. When they're, when they're hard to read, we're projecting that I'm not doing good enough, you know, I've got to be better, I've got to be smarter, yeah. I've got to be funnier, whatever. And that silence, you fill it with effort because you're like, I, I want to see you smile at me, I want to see you tell me yeah. that I'm good, you know. Yeah. So I think that's to me why some coaches, you know, the, the angriest ones are the, sometimes the winningest ones because their team is like, I don't want you to be so upset with me all the time. And again,
0: it adds value when they do have those moments because it's not in their nature and you know they're having to try. I know I've had, like, so my dad's generation and the generation before him aren't big huggers and things like that. And in recent years, my dad has consciously decided he's going to hug us more and show that emotion. And I had a moment earlier in this year where I'd had kind of a rough year and my dad was round mine and my my brother was round mine And my my brother was cooking and my dad comes in and we all have a bit of a chat and a catch up. And then we're Mm. about to go in the living room and it's clear that my dad had thought he wanted to give... He'd thought on the way round, he knows I'm having a rough time, he wants to give me a hug. But you generally do that on arrival, right? So we walk into the living room and just before he takes off his coat, he's like, oh, um, and gives me a hug. And it was kind of awkward and weird, but kind of all the more beautiful because it wasn't just, here's the natural thing. It was him consciously saying... I want to give my son a hug to say it's all right to be feeling these emotions and this kind of thing. And that kind of thing it's just yeah. it means more, right?
1: Yeah, it's it's big.
0: So 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 playing kind of a paternal role like that. How was the atmosphere on set? Were you did you slot into kind of a paternal role as amongst the actors? Because again, a lot of, of younger guys, a lot of newer guys, amazing talent across the board. But yeah. did you you slot into that paternal role on, on set as well?
1: Well, I, you know, I I'm aware that I've, you know, been around for a while and I'm aware that, you know, like young guys coming up, you know, like I did when I was their age or like a lot of them are not that young, but when I was in my early twenties, I looked up to other male actors and you know, I've seen certain things they had done and and um, if I got a chance to work with someone like that, it was a real pleasure and I sometimes forget that I'm now that to yeah. a younger generation of actors. I do Yeah, of
0: course.
1: You know, I don't ever carry that with me thinking in a, in a bragging way but I started to feel like oh, some of these guys were excited that I was in the movie and that made me flattered and I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah I've been around enough that yeah, maybe exactly. there's a few things they'd seen and that they were happy to work with me. So they, they projected that onto me. Right. Anyway, I think when when I was doing little moments or scenes with them, I think like the boys in the film, they were they were eager to kind of match, you know, to do the right thing in the scene. I mean, I always I think most actors always feel like they they're trying to get the most out of themselves and don't presume that they've got everything covered easily, you yeah. know. Like so I'm I'm concerned about making sure I do the right thing too, but I think they think I'm made of Teflon and they're the new kids on the block, yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I could feel that and I felt that a- admiration from them that made me like, oh, I'm, like the, I'm now like a middle-aged actor that's been around a while because I've always yeah. got this idea in my head that I'm still a baby and yeah. I'm not, you know.
0: Yeah. That's these industries that I are they right? I came from music, doing rap into into film and they're all Peter Pan industries. They're all industries where we get to not really acknowledge that we're, we're growing up. We get yeah. to just keep playing.
1: Yeah, no. I think also part of you know part of the responsibility is um, is knowing yourself, you know, which I think is a challenge just in life. Not even just about work. It's like knowing yourself, not 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 checking out and and just going okay. Well, I'm getting older, so my job is to get cynical and and unfit and unhealthy, and I'm just getting closer to death. And I'm not (laughs) talking about that, but but knowing how, for example, in cinema, how do I present when a camera is pointed at me? And what roles do do I play? And and still, mm. again, not to put yourself in a box, challenge yourself within that. But now I'm I'm a guy who's almost fifty. Now what what do I get to explore now that I haven't had a chance to explore before? Yeah. And what do I happily let go of? Yeah, that I can let go of that I'm not. Okay, okay, I can't see myself as that thing anymore. That's of a different generation. Doesn't mean to say I don't have access to change rhythms and energies and but but there's a whole world of characters now that yeah. are available to me. And now that I'm a dad, I have this real relationship with the idea of being a father that changes the things that I'm interested in doing. You know, mm. I, I I read stories about parenthood now or relationships between fathers and children that that ha- have a much bigger impact on me. That now I'm like I want to I want to tell those yeah. stories. And now as I write you know characters that i'm writing now have children whereas 10 years ago i was maybe writing characters that didn't have children yeah yeah and it's changed things and i and i really like to think that a way to kind of participate in the best way is to start to really continue to know yourself as you evolve it's
0: it's 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 not always easy though right like i've i've i know i've got one script that i've i've written that the character i've got in mind for me in it because things t- 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 take a long time to get made, I'm a couple of years away from having to acknowledge it's not me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's someone else in that role, that character. <laughs> like at the, at, the, at the time I wrote it, I was like, "This is perfect. I'll smash this role. It'll be ideal." And it's been it's that few years. I'm like, oh, maybe. Yeah, maybe this might maybe this might have to be a writer director and not actor thing." So yeah,
1: because it's we did that with the King. Uh, David Michaud and I had started working on the King. Uh, like f- probably seven years before we made it, right? And I, I was sort of getting a bit too old to play Henry the Fifth anyway, because he yeah. was he was super young. He was like in his early thirties when he became the king, but or younger even. Anyway, I, I sort of had played that character on stage at the age of twenty two, I think. And then I was like, we'd written the movie and we'd changed it in our own way and all that stuff for for all sorts of reasons, and then. But then I started to realize I'm not can't do that anymore. Like yeah. I, I think part of part of the the drama of, of that is is a young man put in this position of power, and and that it will diffuse some of that power if he seems like a more capable, older,
0: mm-hmm.
1: experienced of life man. So then I was like, well, you know, maybe I'm too young to to do the fall start thing, and I have to eat a lot of food. <laughs> and then, but then when we started to explore what defined an old man in that era, I was like, yeah, I would have been an old man. I was yeah, at the end yeah, of life that's a great expectancy. Point, isn't
0: it? Yeah.
1: Whereas, you know, the the understanding from a modern person is that, oh, if you're playing an old man, he should be in his like 60s or 70s. Yeah. Like, no, like being in your late 40s was like, yeah, yeah, you lived a good life, man. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was like, I slid across. Yeah. You know, which I did selfishly because I was. Involved in creating it, you know yeah. whether I was a, the best person for the job, or not, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: well, I mean, you, you speak of becoming an actor that people maybe see attached to a project and be excited to work with. George Clooney yeah. is one of those. Is one of those people for you, f- right? And I look, I, I really enjoyed Master Gardener as well. And you've got Sigourney Weaver in there and people like that. Are there people that you you you, you see attached and go, oh, that's kind of. Oh, yeah. Exciting and a, a buzz. What comes to mind
1: for that? For, oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I could probably type out a list of hundreds of actors <laughs> that if you said, oh, you'd like, you know, do you want to do a movie with this person? I'd be like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was in a room last night at some after party. I went with my partner to the London Fashion Awards. And yeah. And there was even a few actors in that room. I was like, oh, can you just imagine, you know, what's the story where we could do something yeah, together? yeah. And they're and they're not just older actors that I've grown up watching, you know, mm. like Meryl Streep, and you know, I mean, I I'm a huge fan, obviously, as as the whole world is, with Mark Rylance, and yeah, there's so many. I, and I was, I was at the Marrakesh Film Festival and saw Willem Dafoe, and I'd be like, oh, that'd be a dream too. You know, there's so yeah. many. I'd have a big list, but also contemporaries of mine, and and younger actors, yeah, you know, all across the board, I see young performers and just go, oh man, the, the things that person's capable of, you know, I've become really, you know, relatively good mates with Barry Keegan and, you know, there's people on the internet who reckon we're, you know, cut from the same physical family cloth Yeah, that we must share some DNA and I can sort of see that too and, yeah. you know, so we, we've sort of talked a bit about like what is the thing that we could do together.
0: 100%. Um,
1: and I just love him. And I'm really fascinated by what goes on in his mind when I he's in front of a camera. I completely
0: agree. I had him on the podcast years ago, and we're both big MMA fans. And we just, I can't remember if it was on podcast or off, where we were just nerding out about that for a while. And yeah. he's got that feel of, even back then, he's got that feel of, there's a guy, there's an actor and comedian, Gus Khan, and we worked together years ago. And we would always say, you know, when you meet someone and, and they're real or proper. Yeah, yeah. As, as we'll say here. Barry is that. He's got all this talent He's can't miss at the moment. I thought yeah. The Green Knight, another great film. Yeah. I thought Barry and that was just astounding. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Saltburn recently, everything, he's just, he's flying.
1: You know, and the other person I thought was great in that was this Jacob. I thought yeah. he was just extraordinary in that. There's something about Barry and every now and then there are actors. and I, You know, you brought up Philip Sandler Hoffman. There's other actors that have been around the, they, you know, Gary Oldman and mm-hmm. you know heroes, old and new. Is is that there's there's something about certain people and they're in front of the camera, whatever character they're playing, and you just find yourself leaning in, yeah, and wanting to get inside yeah. their brain, yeah, and they can, and then they've got you in the palm of their hand, and and I don't know that there, there's a certain amount of craft and skill that goes into that. There's a certain amount of you know, Jonna says <laughs> Yeah, you know, who knows what it is. Ben Mendelsohn is one of the best of that. You know, well, like um, wh- whatever um, he does, yeah, he invite he invites you in, you you lean in and you don't want to take you don't want to look away.
0: I couldn't agree more. He's one of my most kind of studied actors that I'm kind of because I don't I'll always watch him and think I love that, but I don't know what he's done there. Don't know why, I need to have yeah. another look and go, Well what is it about that? But you speak of Barry, you know, you yourself and maybe Ben all feeling like you kind of cut from similar cloth do you think it's because you cut you all come from islands that start where you started off you're making stuff for just your own own country like there's loads of stuff that mm. uh, obviously now the internet is making everything everywhere but Ireland and Australia have had some of the most amazing shows um a, a love and hate in Australia, which. Rich Barry was in, and loads of different things, um, Underbelly in Australia and things like that, that Mm -hmm. if they were American, that'd be talked about alongside the Sopranos and things like this. But there's this thing of making stuff for us and then you happen to then get exposed into the rest of the world. So rather than you're setting out going, I want to go to Hollywood. I want to be in Hollywood. Do you think that's that's the essence? Yeah, a a
1: little bit. You know, like, obviously, you know, and you know Barry's talked about his his uh, his life, his past, his growing up. Mm-hmm. You know he's, he's, he's had experience in in his life. Yeah. He's like lived in the real world in very significant ways, as as we all do. But there's a complexity to him. There's a complexity to certain people, and there there are actors that. Don't necessarily, you know, like they always used to say, people used to talk about how actors need to have been through torture in order to be good at what they mm. do and I don't believe that's true. No. Um, I believe that I'd, I'd be more inclined to say that yeah, you have to be inquisitive, observant and empathetic uh, and maybe a few other words. <laughs> but those there's, things there's, I think there's make There's a quote
0: it, I've always loved, observation not old age brings wisdom. Mm. And I think… That sums it up. It doesn't have to be that you've been around forever. It's just that you've been paying attention. No. And that's the same thing. It doesn't mean you have to have gone through hell, but you need to be,
1: yeah. be paying attention. I think you need to be a curious mind. And yeah. and, and through that and, and the right dose of empathy, you also can get to a place where you're not judging who you who you are pretending to be mm. and you you're investigating you know, what makes that character interesting and how do you build them into a real person? And how do you integrate them with who you, who you are, how you look and sound? Yeah. And, and also, like, how, do the, how does that character live inside your whole body and not just in your face or mm. in the words that come out of your mouth? And I don't know. I don't even know. Sometimes I think actors are in control of what they do and sometimes maybe there's elements that they are mm. out of control of that they are unaware of how electrifying. Yeah. And interesting they can be,
0: yeah.
1: Um, you know, and oh, I was going to mention. I was going to. I just pulled my contact lens out. which doesn't matter on a podcast.
0: <laughs> Still, <laughs> um,
1: not ideal for you. I'm going to wink like a pirate. I'm just going to take it out. Good. Um, that you get. Uh, oh, the Australian show. Have you ever? Have you been on to my brother's show called Mister In Between?
0: No, I haven't. I'm familiar with it. But, Half yeah,
1: hours, it. three seasons. Unbelievable Australian yeah. show. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was that very a excited the other day. My brother sent this video that was um, Ricky Gervais talking about stuff that he likes, saying, without a doubt, I think it was last year, that his favourite thing that he'd seen was my brother's show and had binge watched the whole three seasons. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool.
0: I'm on it next. I'm on it next. Have you seen the recent um, David Holmes documentary, The Boy Who Lived? I um, oh, no it's, it's the guy who was the stunt man for Daniel Radcliffe. And, and your brother is also a stunt man, you know? So it's. It's always
1: it's, been a concern. My my scariest moments on set, uh, without a doubt, is watching my brother being uh, painted with fire retardant, right? In in anticipation for being set on fire. Yeah, and uh, I was really really scared. Must were all when it's, Playing yeah. it safe and like, but there's yeah. always that what if?
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And and I've I've met three stunt guys through my brother, two stunt guys through my brother, who are now no longer walking on earth. Of accidents on set, and I've met another one who's uh, severely brain damaged who got injured during a movie. And and uh, and I knowing that you know, less so nowadays, my brother's more you know, directing than, than actually mm. stunt performing, but always knowing that that was a possibility, that's why they get a bit of extra money to,
0: yeah, but call still, or it's they, they're only just starting to get a bit of extra. Credit like like with stunts becoming a category and so many awards and things like that, it's been overlooked for so I think weird comparison, but stunts and casting mm. are two such crucial parts of productions that for so long have been overlooked and are on, only just starting to get awards and yeah. pats on the back at least.
1: And they're the heart, you know, they're the um, they're really the kind of guys that uh don't complain on a set, you know, yeah. like it's an it's almost like a A requisite for an actor to be like, oh, it's too cold. Yeah, it's too this. It's too that. I can't do that. I've said because I know a lot of a lot of extra stunt guys beyond just the ones I've worked with through my brother. You know, you get stunt guys like the guy that doubled me on um, Dark Matter.
0: Right.
1: You know, I know that there were certain days that he was really injured, and but he just wouldn't let on. Yeah, I had to milk it out of him. I was like, "Did you? Are you okay?" Because I saw him do some weird stretch, and he was grimacing and. Off, yeah. off to the side in the darkness. I'm mean, like, you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm like, you know, pried pry out of him that he, he really wrenched his neck. But, the, you know, an actor would be the first one to tell oh, I wrenched my neck. Oh, no. 100%. I need a day off. I'm feeling rough. Whereas those guys would just keep sucking it
0: up. And, and just the, the knowledge as well. I had a, uh, a little indie project I was doing in France once that I turned up one day and found out I was doing a stunt because we didn't have a stunt crew. Yeah. And they were like, oh, here's where we're practising – And I'm lucky that uh, Jacob Tamuri's a mate, who's an amazing stuntman. So so I sent him some messages, and just the messages he sent me improved. Like I only had half a day of learning it. But the notes he gave me on this particular fall, where it's pick a point to focus your eyes on, so your head doesn't just roll back, and things like this. The small little nuances made all the difference. And that was just a casual, yeah, yeah, here's... Here's how you like w- w- without having to learn the whole stunt or anything else. Just go. Here's here's the things that will make that better and safer. It's
1: they're good guys, man. Amazing. They're just I don't, you know. And maybe the the not good stunt guys or the careless ones or the kind of arrogant ones don't. You you just never see them on a set because people don't yeah. like the word. But they, the ones that are working, they work hard. They're so helpful. They're tireless. And 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 of course they take the hits for us. Yeah. But I have such admiration for them. Yeah. Just incredible. And they'll 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 be the first and last on set if they have to be without complaining ever. Yeah. And they don't have the cushy trailers sometimes, and they're lugging equipment, and they're just like I just got full respect the stunt guys.
0: Yeah. Completely agree. Well, I don't want us to run out of time without kind of asking you about you as a writer and director mm. because I think The Gift and, and boy I raised your two of your best performances on screen and I'll, so you can clearly do both at, w- at once if the project is right like you mentioned David earlier who you've worked with a load on Animal Kingdom and The King What's ahead in that front? Is there stuff that you're – are there stories you're wanting to tell? Have you got plans for more writing and directing? And
1: Yeah, I've got a couple of th- – I started producing a bit. I, I, yeah. I produced a TV series that's coming out in Australia. It was very much a kind of a backseat producer but I was very much involved in the early stages of this TV series called – why did my brain not work? <laughs> 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 boy Swallows Universe. Right. Everything I have has got a boy in it these yeah, days. Yeah. Boy Swallows Universe. Based on an Australian novel, I um, am in very heavily involved in this this really interesting documentary project that uh, will probably come up next year. Um, that's been made called Daughters, which strangely I tracked this woman down after seeing a TED Talk, where she talks about she runs a program for young girls in Virginia, where they ended up writing a letter to a sheriff in the prison. Because one of the girl's fathers was incarcerated and they ended up, he agreed to let a whole bunch of girls come into the prison to have a sort of a dance and a day of activities with their dads. Wow. And I went to the prison event in 2019 just before COVID and was there and there was a documentary crew. And um, I was just there to observe and to help because I was fascinated by this and I'd become friends with this woman. Anyway, this is an incredible documentary that sort of speaks to the separation of families, particularly in the African-American community and and the difficulty of of connecting with family when you're incarcerated and how it affects children. So that's called Daughters um, and I'm a producer on that. David Michaud and I had written a story that he's directed a movie called Wizards um, that age 24. With Sean again, right? With Sean again. (laughs) But I'm not in that one. I was busy with George, sadly. (laughs) So there's that. And then but on a personal level, I've just been dying to direct write and direct another movie. And I've written a bunch yeah. during COVID. I wrote a few things, not things that I'm ready to direct. I was like, I like this, but I don't think it's the right next movie. But I had the kids and I knew that I wasn't gonna be able to do it until they're at school. Yeah, yeah. I just wasn't going to, I just didn't have the capacity. Yeah. As much as I had the intention, I just knew I wouldn't have the, the availability in my life to do it. So I've now written something that I want to make is very much in the tone of The Gift. And in a similar sense, it sort of, it trades in a sort of a genre, that mm-hmm. ge- the genre of, I guess, psychological suspense yeah. tipping on into horror, but not really. But that's sort of about something that's important to me, which is, you know, when es- essentially I want to make a movie that speaks to why any one of us are only one or two steps away from committing acts of violence if we're yeah. tipped in the wrong direction. And just looking at, you know, kind of the average social human animal. Yeah. And, like, why do we see these things happen that we read about and go, oh, my God, the, you know, someone stabbed someone over, you know, having their lane taken from them on a highway. Yeah. As a, and it's not a movie about road rage, but essentially the whole, what I want to make is sort of kind of a movie that's essentially a kind of a rage in some way, and um, but with elements of mystery and
0: suspense to it. It's so. such a fashion, fascinating topic because I think the way we absorb media now means we dehumanise everything and we don't see how close we are. Like every everyone's a villain. I mean, in London at the, at the moment, the, the homeless community are a prime example of this. You can't imagine it's they're so dehumanised now, particularly by our current government, that you don't realise until you – work with the homeless or talk to some homeless people or whatever that we could all be so close to that or so many of us are a number of mistakes away Mm -hmm. from being that and I feel that with almost every horrific thing that happens not that I'm on the edge and I'm about to go on a a killing spree but I can see the steps yeah you know what I mean I can I see these things go that's horrific but also I wonder who they were the week before or the month before. Yeah. You know.
1: I'm really interested too in in the pettiness of middle class. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, is um, you know, like I often say, like if I if I have any issues, you know, I consider I very much consider myself middle class, even though I'm in the world of the arts field, which sort of makes you feel like you're in a floating island of yeah. weirdness. Yeah. But I'm middle class, you know, I'm a white middle class male. And these sort of petty concerns that I see in the middle class, you know, you know, and it's easy to say to someone, "Hey, you know," but look at the newspaper and look at what other people are going through, and and you do go, "Oh, yeah, I'm." I'm even if this is happening in my life, or I have this stress or my kitchen's flooding or whatever, like I'm still one of the luckiest dudes yeah. that I know. But that's not to say that your own stresses aren't relative to your own your own sphere of thinking. Yeah. But I'm really interested in how there's a certain pettiness <laughs> that you can observe in uh, in someone like Maya's life who goes, oh, I'm all frustrated about this. Yeah. You're like, uh, you're actually okay, dude. Like fucking settle down. But then people like <laughs> me or people in, you know, that look like me that have a big, you know, a middle-class cushy life, do these fucking crazy things and you're just mm-hmm. like there's this stress that lives in all of us and and every now and then, you might realize you're the person that is the straw that broke someone, someone's back. Yeah. You know, you're the, you're the tipping point. And it's not about you. Yeah. You just happen to come along at a moment when that person was ready to fucking blow. Yeah. And then the next day they wake up and realize, why did I do that thing?
0: Yeah, like, yeah. why did
1: I do that? Like, if I'd just had a nice long sleep and, and looked at myself in in relationship to the rest of the world... I'm pretty good. Yeah. You know. And I think a lot of people get overly concerned by small things but but stress is
0: real. Yeah. You know? I think it's why road rage is the prime example of that because we've we're going fast so we've got less time to calm down mm-hmm. and think about it and go oh this is petty or stupid mm. we're speeding along but it, the pettiness fascinates me it's so weird so uh, this evening, I'm recording my big end-of-year podcast, which yeah. is just me and two mates I've known my whole life, and we just get drunk for oh, five yeah. hours, <laughs> put the whole thing out. It's a it's a mess, but it's always good fun. We've done it every year as the end-of-year thing. And I always make notes of things to talk about. And literally, just before I walked in here, the note I added was, who writes bad reviews? Because that's, again, it's the epitome of, of pettiness. It's such a mad thing to go... And whether it be on a restaurant or on a yeah. podcast, it, I'd listen to another podcaster who had got some a bad review and was going th- through it. Just who would take the time to go? You know what? I want to let them know. Yeah, that human know that I think they're shit. Isn't it's that like, crazy? Why? I always think it about like, it. It's okay to think it. Yeah, like, you don't have to like everyone or everything. But why do you feel the need to let or, them know? You know, look, I, I think criti-
1: critical um, narrative is 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 important, or critical responses to things is like. But but my way of doing it would be to say, you know, and it's a little cushy too, but sort of like lead with the positive. You know, find merit in something. Or if you're going to say you don't like something, don't get the knives out. You know, this is yeah. my problem. Is like filmmakers. Authors, painters, musicians, anyone who's putting their work out to be judged
0: mm-hmm.
1: is a human being that put a lot of care and and tried to do something and tried to employ people and whatever their intention is, they didn't just like do it like clicking their fingers. It took work. Yeah. Then to presume that you come along and watch it and go, I'm going to use this as a creative writing exercise in humiliation. <laughs> yeah. And it, and sometimes I get this feeling like reviewers are all waiting in the shadows and they all look at each other and they go, "Is this one of those ones? Do we yeah. all get to fucking
0: like yeah. stab yeah, this guy in yeah, yeah, the kidneys?" Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And and they all flex their creative writing muscles and and I can't help but sit back and go, "Okay, that was a clever thing you just did, right?" You know, smiley star for you for being so pithy and, and, and ironic and clever and witty and blah, blah, blah. But go walk in that person's shoes. Have you ever tried to make a movie? Have you ever tried to paint a picture or write a book yeah. or write music and release it? Like don't be vicious because you hurt someone. You yeah. really hurt them. And smarter people, and I, I consider myself, you know, slightly smart, are going to look down on you for being cruel.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Because you, now you're essentially a, 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 a gossip with a typewriter. Yeah. You know, you're a, you're a little town gossip. Yeah. You're like, oh, yeah. look how smart I am. I remember someone writing a review about a movie saying, 10 things I would rather do than watch this movie again. And they yeah. were things like pull my fingernails off and, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, fill my mouth with spiders and staple my lips shut and all that. And I was like, okay, that was clever, but it was cruel. Yeah. So fuck you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. completely agree. Uh, well, I mean, I'll start t- to wrap things up now, but before we do, I do want to talk a bit about Underground Railroad because mm. I thought it was absolutely astounding. I think Barry is astounding. I wonder... I feel I didn't hear enough people talking about it and I think we were at a point of exhaustion socially with uh, all the Black Lives Matter stuff that happened during the pandemic, w- with the pandemic itself. Mm. But it felt like a really important show to me, and it's it's a period piece, but it's obviously reflecting on on modern times as well. Whether that be things going on in America, obviously, like the recent voice referendum in mm. Australia was mm-hmm. was heartbreaking to see. I know that's that that's something that you showed your, your support um, to the right side, in mm. my opinion. On how important, I guess, is are these stories to make us reflect upon? where we are in society now, where we should be in society in the future, how far we haven't come or how yeah. far we have come?
1: It's a really good question. I, I suspect that a lot of people didn't really get through all of uh, Underground Railroad. And I can understand why if there's like – because, you know, on one hand you could argue that the way to uh, talk about subjects is to wrap them up in a different parcel, mm-hmm. is to make them less less confronting – and um, if you have um, a message or an opinion or whatever, is is, um, is to wrap them up in a in a in a way that people get uh, tricked almost into the cinema or under watching and go, oh, I didn't know I would know this about history or, you know, for example, I think Get Out was was a movie that talked about race, but it was yeah. wrapped up in a horror movie.
0: Yeah.
1: And interestingly, and I want to talk about Underground Railroad because you know. Boy Raised is an interesting example. We discovered that the challenge with um, like getting that film out into the world was all the people that agreed that two men should have a right to be in a relationship together or get married together or any of those things that homosexuality homosexuality wasn't a sin. Yeah, they were totally game and keen to see the film, um, or did or knew they didn't need to see the film because they already agreed yeah. with the film. Yeah, the harder audience together, the people that you want to see the film because you, you want the film to change minds. Mm-hmm. But they're the people who are like, ah, oh, this, you the know, liberal piece up. of junk, yeah, I'm not yeah. going to watch that. Like why would I, I already hate you, you know, why yeah. would I watch your film? So the, the, the challenge is what form do you or how do you dress up your story? Now, when it comes to Underground Railroad, there's no skirting around what, the, what Barry's done. Mm. Even though the, there's a magical, realist element to yeah. the, the the fabric of the book, yeah.
0: the railroad, it's also itself.
1: a document. Like within the narrative, it's a record, and and it was important for Barry that that becomes a, an indelible record. For some people, they don't want to watch it. For some mm-hmm. people they're like, I know, and that's that's either too confronting for me because it it it's it's my ancestors, and I can't take mm-hmm. myself into that space. Um, or I already know that that was the world that my ancestors went through, so yeah. I don't need to watch it. And all people that are, you know, have a different colour skin who are like, I don't want to know that that my ancestors were responsible for mm-hmm. participating in that stuff. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of people that go confronted by the the horrors and the violence the kind the of the truth. I'm
0: glad it was made, but I don't want to look at it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I... But then there are people that will really, really turn their attention to it, yeah. you know, and I, I'm – I'm certain Barry was aware that you know there were, there were going to be a number of people who go okay, and I, and I knew people who watched the whole thing, but they were like they watched an episode and then they needed a break.
0: I had a break every time. And Normally, I, I put again. it on to binge it, and then I was like, "This is going to take a few weeks," mm. you know, because it was exactly that. It's it's a lot. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah, beautiful, and I knew mate. people who watched the whole thing, but they took like a week just to like absorb each episode. Yeah, but I think what he did is remarkable, and and and. I think he got some of the best out of me that I've ever been yeah. able to provide somebody. And, um, and I went into there with a real fearful uh, excitement of going, yeah. how do I do this? How do I, how do I lean into this? You know, and I, I had a, an incredible time with him.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, I'm going to wrap things up there because I want you to find out how the pepper Pig um, experience has been for your family whilst in London. I don't know you have to hold off on that excitement uh, any longer. So big.
1: <laughs> it's funny, I, you know, like I, I have, I recently went to the Marrakech Film Festival. Was on the jury, yeah, which was I actively chose to do a because I was, you know, flattered that they would ask me, but I was like. After a year of, you know, being through strikes both as a writer and as an actor, I was like, yeah. I need some inspiration
0: yeah. from
1: younger filmmakers, like see what people are talking about, how they're making films, and I was so glad I did it. But I, I watched 14 films in seven days, wow. all subtitled, real brain exhaustion, but yeah. like so happy, happy I did it. But I realised like I saw m- more movies in that seven days than I'd seen almost all year. Yeah. I've seen, been in the cinema three times because, yeah. you know, kids, I blame my kids. It's your <laughs> fault. Um, but um, I've seen every episode of Peppa Pig numerous times and, and Miffy and I'm just wondering how these things are going to influence my next film. <laughs> yeah.
0: I love it. I love the…
1: the Bluey is the, the best.
0: The mixture of Peppa Pig, Bluey and 14… Subtitled films yeah, entered Turkish into the American film
1: Turkish films. About is, is an Islamic, you know, a school, a, a, you know, a film in Morocco evoking hidden stories about the bread riots yeah. and, you know, like all this stuff. And then Peppa Pig. I mean, the drama in George's uh, dragon balloon, <laughs> like floating up in the sky and getting rescued by a parrot, P- heavy.
0: People thought they're getting... Greta Gerwig to do a Barbie movie was 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 mind blowing. I can't wait for what's n- next from you. Bringing together the worlds of Peppa Pig, yeah, and yeah.
1: Uh, that's a message to the audience out there. Hold free. on to your pink outfits that you wore to <laughs> the Barbie premiere because you're going to need them for my real world Peppa Pig movie. It's, I'm going to be Daddy
0: Pig. It's it's going to be the Barbenheimer thing, but in one movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's not these two separate darkness and light. Let's bring them together. I'm just going to I'm going to I'm going to shoot.
1: Peppa Pig, the movie, and I'm going to wait for uh, Christopher Nolan to make his next film, <laughs> yeah. and I'm going to make sure that the titles fit together, and I'm going to capitalise it. Well, Wasn't that the most extraordinary thing?
0: All you need is a subheading, and you'll make it match up. Yeah, that was that was the crazy thing. Literally, in, in uh,
1: I was staying in Hampstead, and at the Everyman Cinema, yeah, where it normally has the titles of three movies, it just said for three weeks it just said Barbenheimer.
0: Yeah. To madness. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. It's been a pleasure to catch up. I look forward to seeing you again in an, in another five years. Let's make on this, it, yeah, on well, this three, let's make
1: it three. All right, let's we'll do go it. five, three, one, yeah, and
0: you then I'll break just, it be... Down. You'll just be a co host. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, man. Thank <laughs> you very much.
1: Thanks. been listening
0: to Scroobius Pips Distraction Pieces There we go that was Joel Edgerton I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did and honestly go and see The Boys in the Boat it blew me away it's a nightmare right I did my Films of the Year podcast last week prior to this year starting I'd seen four films and three of them I already think are going to be in the running for for my Films of the Year at the end of this year and one of them it's the boys in the boat? I'll be back next week with another wonderful guest. Do you want to know who it is? It's only bloody Samuel T. Herring from uh, from F- Future Islands. What a mad one! It's mad because one of his performances was one of the ones I showed on the thing on Pip and B show each other stuff over on my Twitch channel. So yeah, it's a hell of a conversation. He's a hell of a dude. He gave me loads of time as well. So um, we're really kicking kick, kick the year off with some meaty episodes so enjoy the substance ladies and gentlemen i'll be back next week with that until then stay safe and stay sane Ta-ta.